0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning, everybody. I want to punctuate the uh, phrase in that song we just sang You, God, are making me new. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe more than anything else? in the world, God longs to renew you? Do you believe it's as though you're the only person that exists here on the earth? That in that sense, God cares about coming to you and having you experience him in such a profound way that your life is never again to be the same. I believe the promise of the song we just sang. I believe God longs to make us new. Not just our situations, although they matter to him. Not just our circumstances, though they're important. But actually, God is using all of those things to do something inside of us. And that's really the emphasis of our series that we're in called Renew. A journey that's leading us all the way through Easter. Before we get back to our series this morning, just two uh, comments that I want to make by way of invitation. Just a reminder that one prayer is coming up the 1st of April. We trust that you'll mark your calendar, make plans to join us for uh, an hour of guided prayer that we will lead you through uh, that will be um, very comfortable uh, for you to join us uh, in that time of prayer. And also want to remind you about Easter weekend, a special weekend planned, uh, beginning with our Good Friday experience on the, on the 19th of April. Uh, Then we have three Sunday morning worship services on Easter Sunday with a baptism opportunity for believers' baptism in every one of those. And so I just want to ask you a question this morning. What are you waiting for on baptism? You know, if you haven't already registered, please do it. Please sign up if you are a follower of Christ, a new believer, or renewed. And somehow God has been coming to you in a new way in, in your life, in your journey spiritually. Maybe you were baptized as a child or as an infant. Um, but that was somebody else's faith, and now your faith wants to express itself. And baptism um, on Easter Sunday would be a great way for you to celebrate the newness of life, the resurrection of Jesus uh, through water baptism at our Easter Sunday morning gathering. So we encourage you to do that. Let me return us this morning to our theme passage found in Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Here's the thing about a new thing. You never know when it will happen. And you never know where it will come from, right? That's the nature of a new thing. It's new. It's not something that you can expect. So I am, uh, by nature, in some ways, a, a person and a creature of habit. But on the other hand, I'm also, I also have a very spontaneous personality, which makes life very interesting sometimes. So on one hand, I love familiar. I love structure. I appreciate predictability. But on the other hand, I love a good dose of the unexpected. And so, as I've gotten older, what I've begun to understand about myself is that I have gravitated more to the structure and less to the spontaneous. Now, perhaps that's because I'm getting older. Or perhaps, if I'm being honest, it's because... I feel like I can control more things that are predictable than things that are unpredictable. What I love about Isaiah 43 is this. There is an element of surprise in this text. What this text tells us is that we never quite know when God is going to do something unusual, something unexpected. When God is literally going to surprise us by doing a new thing. And what God does is God is not living and dwelling idly in our past, but God is active in our present and he's active in our future. He's already doing things and at work in ways that we have not yet come to understand or appreciate fully. That's the great news about this passage. God is doing something new in our circumstances. He's doing something new in the ups and downs of our life, within the context of our careers. He's he's doing something new in our relationships, in our families. So I've been asking the question, what is the new thing God has been doing in your life? Can you see it? Do you perceive it? So I shared a number of months ago, and many of you that have been part of Grace Crossing Church for some time know my history with my family of origin. It's a wilderness place. It's a desolate place. It's been a, it's been a barren place. It's been a wasteland in many ways. And I've had very little relationship with my biological extended family. a number of months ago, uh, I got contacted about my mom, who's now 79 and failing health, and so I reached out to her, and I've done that many times through the years, but never got a phone call back, and many times she wouldn't answer the telephone. Well, in the last number of months, she's been engaging in conversation with me, been very surprising. And as I've reached out to her, what I'm beginning to sense is that God has been doing something new in the midst of this relationship. Something that began a journey for me uh, some time ago, but I'm watching God continue to develop it. Now, I have not seen my mom in 15 years, and that was a brief passing uh, conversation at a funeral. I've not been with my mom for 30 years. This week, I'm going to Florida to visit with my mom by way of her invitation. Now, she doesn't really know me. She doesn't really know my family. That give you just a little sense of the relationship. When I was on the phone with her this past week, she asked if my daughter Aubrey has any children. I called her when our oldest first grandson was born And said, Mom, I want to tell you about your first great grandchild that was born. His name is Shane. I want to tell you all about him. Never got a call back. She didn't even realize that my kids have children. My kids don't know her. And my grandkids don't know her. But God is doing a new thing. And my job is not to try to figure out everything that God is doing. My job is to sense where God is moving and to go in his direction, to follow his leadership. And I believe in all of our lives, God is doing a new thing. The question is, do we perceive it? Can we see it? So for the last number of weeks, we've been, we've been talking about blindness, as it's revealed to us in the Bible, both physical blindness and spiritual blindness. Two weeks ago, we we talked about the story of blind Bartimaeus who cries out to Jesus and finally comes to Jesus and he is made whole in the moment that he names his deepest desire in God's presence. Last weekend, we followed the journey of two men as they were journeying from Jerusalem to their home seven miles away in a town called Emmaus. And along the journey, Jesus comes and joins them, but they don't perceive or recognize it that Jesus is there. These two men had lost hope in hope until Jesus reveals himself to them and then their hope is restored in him and so is restored and renewed in their possibilities. There's another aspect of blindness that I want to focus on this morning. It's another one the Bible brings an awareness to for us. And I want to share and introduce this by way of a crazy story we read about in the book of Kings. Let me give you the back story before we read the passage. The Arameans were warring against the Israelites, and the king of Aram would, would make plans. He would do strategic planning at night in his bedroom, and then he'd bring his Military leaders together and say, this is the way we're going to attack the Israelites. Every time they tried to move forward with their attack, the Israelites were prepared. And they pushed the Aramians back. Finally, the king goes in frustration and he said, who is the one in our military who's giving away our military secrets? We have espionage going on. Somebody is spying on behalf of the Israelites, within our particular army. And I want to know who they are. And finally, somebody says, no, Lord, uh, King, it is not anybody in our army. There is a prophet by the name of Elisha. And every time you're sharing, God is giving him insight into what's happening. And he's informing the king of Israel. And the king of Israel is moving and preparing. He said, go and find him. I want you to bring him to me. And here's what happens the next morning we read about it in 2 Kings chapter 6 verses 15 and 16 when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city oh no my lord what shall we do the servant asked here's how Elisha replies Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now here's what I want you to see in this story. Both men were looking at the same situation. Both men saw the same obstacle against them. Both men had their eyes on the exact same hills that were filled with the Aramean armies, horses, and chariots. Both men knew exactly the same thing from a physical standpoint, but what was different? One of them saw something the other one did not see. In other words, one of them was perceiving something that the other one was not dialed into and was not perceptive enough to see what was going on. How is it possible that two people can look at the same thing? One see God and the other not. How is it possible that two people can sit in the same service and one be impacted by God and the other one say, "Yeah, that was a normal service, typical Sunday? How is it possible? How is it possible that's, that, that one person can see situation that is so negative and so overwhelming and actually be positive enough to believe that God is in the middle of it and that God can do something in that situation? I would suggest to us that during this 40 days of renewal, we're going to have both types of people. I suspect we're going to have those that God is going to do a new thing in their life because they've been on the lookout for God. They've been dialed up in a sense, spiritually speaking, and they are anticipating God meeting them. And others will not. So listen to what happens in verse 17. Here's what Elisha does. Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots and fire all around Elisha. What does he see? He sees the army of heaven, something he could not see earlier. And it's because his eyes were opened. This is my prayer for all of us at Grace Crossing Church. My prayer that during these 40 days of renewal is not just that our physical eyes will be open, but that something will happen inside of us that will change the way we see our circumstances. The way that we see our situation. The way that we see the enemy's activity in our life, but we can perceive God. We can see God. We can experience that God is right around us even though we feel overwhelmed by the situation of life. I don't believe the problem with the servant was his eyesight physically nearly as much as what was happening in his heart. I think there was something going on in his heart that needed, first of all, to be calibrated to God so that his physical eyes could see what he could not see. This morning, that's the focus that I want to take us to. Because there is another side of this renewal, another side of seeing God that I think is really important. I think it's illustrated in this story, but it's also told us by a scripture we're going to look at here in just a moment, and then a story we read about in the New Testament. But but let me say this first. You cannot... Receive from God until you perceive God. We, we cannot receive what we do not perceive. And when the Bible says in Isaiah 43, see the Lord is doing a new thing, do you perceive it? There's another aspect of perception that I want to talk about this morning. Another word of sight that I'd like to focus on. And it's the word in sight. How's your insight? How well are you able to see where God is moving within your life? I think insight is what sets us up for God's sights. That I believe that if we do not know ourselves and we do not understand ourselves, I think we can miss God very quickly, very easily. In fact, I think self awareness brings us to a greater degree and a greater level of God awareness in our life. So there's a promise that we read in Ezekiel chapter 36. Here it is, verses 25 through 27. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. There's a lot going on in these three verses and it's actually a prophetic text about what was going to happen when Jesus Christ came to this earth and began to transform the human heart. But what I want to look at this morning is just The heart of this passage, literally the heart. God here says that there are two types of hearts. There is a healthy heart, and there's one that's not so healthy. There's what he calls a stubborn heart, and the other one he calls a tender heart. Perhaps you have uh, heard the statement made of somebody that they have a heart of stone. In case you've never heard that phrase, it's not a compliment. It means that there is not an inkling of compassion, mercy, and internal movement within them. It means that they are disconnected from themselves and other people. But then there is this tender, soft heart that the Bible talks about. That's a heart that is actually able to connect to itself and to connect to others. Here's what I believe. I believe that every single one of us here have both types of hearts. I believe in some ways every one of us have stubborn hearts And every single one of us, at times, have tender, soft hearts. I I experience both. There, There are times that I am rigid, and there are times that I am hard, and there are other times that I am soft and tender. There are times that I am filled with pride and arrogance. Just ask my wife. And there are times that my heart is soft and tender to the movement of God and toward my spouse and others. Here's the question. Which kind of heart most characterizes you? In other words, generally speaking, which of those two hearts do you think you would say you are most like, that you most identify with? If you're not sure this morning, it's okay. There's an easy way to figure it out. Just ask the people who know you best. And then give them permission to be honest with you. And what they will tell you is what kind of heart they experience when they're with you. For the sake of this morning's talk, here's what I'd like you to think about. I'd like you to think about the stubborn heart as the resistant heart. And I'd like you to think of the tender heart as the responsive heart. The stubborn heart is resistant. The tender heart is responsive. Now we've all experienced people who we would say have stubborn hearts. People that we would call hard-hearted. But how do you characterize a tender heart? Well, here's how I would characterize it. I think a tender heart is a heart that is able to love and be loved. It is a heart that is able to hurt and be hurt. It is a heart that is able to serve and be served. It is a heart that is able to forgive and be forgiven. A tender heart is a vulnerable heart that is open to being wounded. And so when you come to the scripture in the Old Testament, you've got a beautiful model in two strong political military leaders. You see the idea of this stubborn heart in Pharaoh who ruled in Egypt for hundreds of years. And for hundreds of years, the children of Israel were held in captivity. And God moved toward Pharaoh time and time again. And God said to him, I want to get your attention. I want you to listen to me. And time and time again, what happens? Pharaoh resists the movement of God. His will does not bend. He does not yield himself to where God is trying to lead him. He's stubborn. Compare Pharaoh with another leader, King David. Oh, don't look now. King David was also stubborn. Many times, King David, when we read in the Bible, he said, listen, I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to resist what you want. But at the end of the day, when push came to shove, something changed in their hearts. Pharaoh's heart becomes hardened. Stone cold. David's heart becomes pliable in the hands of God like a potter in clay. And all of a sudden, he becomes broken. The difference between a resistant heart and a responsive heart lies in how we respond to the movement of God in our life. When we resist God, here's what happens. Our heart runs the risk of becoming stone cold hard. But when we respond, when we humble ourselves, when we become broken before God, our hearts become responsive. We become tender. Now this is incredibly illustrated in a story that is all about the season that we're in. As we're moving in these next number of weeks, taking us to the cross and then to the tomb, and then to the resurrection. I want to go back to Ezekiel chapter 36, and I want to reread the, just the first two lines of this. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship Idols. Ezekiel 36 is a foreshadowing of something that would happen hundreds of years later in the first century. Hundreds of years later in the first century Jesus is just hours from his betrayal his sentencing to death and his crucifixion. He's sharing one final meal with his disciples in a place the Bible calls an upper room. Think of it as an Airbnb. Jesus gathers with these disciples, and the Bible says that the table is set, and everything is in its place except there's one thing that's missing from the room. The household servant who was responsible to wash the feet of guests when they entered into the room. And so the Bible tells us that Jesus does what is unthinkable. During the meal, Jesus gets up, goes over to the door where he finds a basin and a towel. Takes off his outer garment, wraps himself in a servant's towel, picks up the basin of water, and then he moves back toward the table where he was about to wash the feet of every one of his disciples. All 12, one by one, 24 feet in all. Now I've talked to enough people who get weirded out by feet. I've talked to enough people who cannot even see exposed feet. Others who go, I I couldn't touch somebody's feet. Can you imagine washing them? Have you ever wondered why the feet? I mean, Jesus could have washed their hands, but he didn't. He chose to wash their feet. There's lots of reasons for it, not the least of which is that culturally washing the feet was the responsibility of the lowest of the lowest in society. But here's the point I want to make this morning. I don't think Jesus was focused on their feet. I think Jesus was focused on their heart. I don't think Jesus really cared much about the condition of their feet. If he had, he'd have washed it as soon as they walked in the room. I think what Jesus cared more about was the condition of their heart. And I think that's what Jesus wanted to get after. Washing the disciples' feet was not a matter of personal hygiene. It was a matter of personal pride. When Jesus washed their feet, they were not just clean, they were honest. All of a sudden, what was inside of their heart begins to come outside of their heart. And that's the point. What Jesus is going after in this particular narrative is not the condition of their feet, it's the condition of their heart. He wants to know the content of what's inside of them. And I would suggest to each of us this morning that that is the single most important focus during the 40 days of renewal. What is the condition? of our hearts. Do you know your heart? Are you aware? Do you know when you're being resistant to God? Do you know when you're being responsive to God? Are other people experiencing you as resistant? Or are other people experiencing you As responsive. Is your heart stone cold or is your heart broken, yielded, and bent to God's will? Now, we do not know every exchange that happens around the table, but we do get a ringside seat to at least two of the disciples. There are three I want to focus on this morning. But, I, but we get a ringside seat to two of the disciples that are mentioned by name in the narrative. And here's what I think is so striking. I believe these two disciples that get illustrated in the story represent the hearts of Ezekiel 36. I think one of them is the resist, resist, resistant heart. I think the other one is the responsive heart. So let's begin with Judas Judas I think is safe to say is the resistant heart Jesus comes and here's what happens John 13 beginning in verse 2 the evening meal was in progress the devil had already prompted Judas the son of Simon Iscariot to betray Jesus Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped the towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The Bible does not specifically say which disciple Jesus began with. But I have a hunch it was Judas. In fact, I think the narrative suggests it. Jesus now is fully aware of the dark intentions of Judas's heart. He knows everything that's going on inside of him. He doesn't just know the condition of his feet. He knows the condition of his heart. And there are so many proofs that Jesus is God throughout the Scripture. This is one of the most compelling. Only God can love this way. Only God can do what Jesus did. Now, certainly there are other human beings that have modeled this kind of love, but it wasn't without God in them. And he comes to Judas and he recognizes something in his heart. He recognizes that he had been prompted. His heart had already been prompted toward resistance. And Jesus is fully aware of it. And Jesus is not trying to just clean his feet. Jesus is trying to clean his heart. Let's fast forward to verse 26 and 27. Later in the meal, then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. Here's what I want you to notice in the text. His heart was first prompted. Then he actually cooperates. He finally fully resists the movement of Christ toward him. And in doing so, the Bible says something happens to his heart. His heart becomes uncurably dark, filled with all sorts of evil, inspired by Satan. That's the resistant heart. Now, I want you to juxtapose Judas' response with Peter's. Let's look at verse 6, John chapter 13. Let's read about Peter. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet, their whole body is clean. I am more like Peter than I care to admit. Much more. Like Peter, there are times that I am stubborn and proud and reluctant. Like Peter, I don't like to just sit and be silent. And as God's brought that as my word for the year, I'm learning just how difficult it is to not hear myself speak. Like Peter, there are times that I put up my resistance to the movement of God in my life. Even though God is coming toward me, there is reluctance in me. But at the end of the day, when you read the story of Peter, hear what you you discover. Peter finally bends his will to God. And he finally responds to the movement of God in his life. Oh, he's stubborn and reluctant at first. But Peter comes to a place where he is actually the one who follows Jesus so closely that not only is he the one who pioneers the church here on the earth, the one that we're part of today, came from the apostle Peter. He's the one who stewarded the mission but he also dies like Jesus, only upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die like Jesus did. Judas is the resistant heart. Peter is the responsive heart. The question this morning is, which am I? Which are you? Now, there is one final thing I'd like to share about the story. It's a statement that Jesus makes right in the middle of the narrative that I think we can easily misunderstand. Here it is, chapter 13, verse 15, John's Gospel. Jesus looks at all of them, including Judas and including Peter, and here's what he says. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. for years. I believe that what Jesus was referring to here was he was referring to washing their feet. In other words, I want you to follow my example of washing the feet of one another just like I've given you a model for it. I think there's something much deeper here. I think there's something much more significant Jesus is saying to them. And here's what I think he's saying. I think Jesus is saying, I've given to you an example of what a responsive heart looks like. I, too, have been tempted to resist the movement of God in my life. I, too, have struggled to bow my knee and yield myself fully to God's will. I, I too, would rather the cup pass for me. That would be my preference. But I've chosen not to resist. I've chosen to give my father a responsive heart. And I have given you an example that you too should follow me in giving God a responsive heart. Do not resist him. Do not push back. Do not let your heart become stone cold but rather say, God, I am humble and I'm broken and I want to be willing to follow you with all of my heart as I move through these 40 days of renewal. Because more than anything else, God wants your heart. He wants the center of who you are. He wants to be the most important priority in the center of your life. Now, as we close and the band comes this morning, there's one more face that's seated at the table that I'd like you to see. We don't read about this particular disciple, but we know that this disciple is at the table. Because just as Jesus did with Judas, and just as Jesus did with Peter, he does too with this disciple, with this follower. I'd like you one final time to watch Jesus get up from the table at the meal. And I'd like you to watch him move over to the door. In fact, close your eyes, please, and I'd like you to just in your mind's eye, imagine Jesus right now stepping up, moving to the table. Jesus takes the basin. Fills it with water. Takes off his outer garment. Wraps the servant's towel around him. And I want you to see him now picking up that basin and moving toward the table. Only this time, Jesus comes to this disciple. I want you to see Jesus coming to you. Yeah, I I want you to see him coming to you. Jesus, who knows the condition of our hearts, comes, looks us straight in the eye, and then without really saying much of a word, he simply kneels in front of you. Removes your shoes, and he begins to wash your feet. What is it you're feeling in that moment? Are you feeling resistance? It's okay because even Peter felt that to a degree. That's normal. I would say if that's going on inside of you, don't judge that. Just be aware of that. Do you feel reluctance? Or do you feel this morning a sense of responsiveness to God? How can it be that he would serve me in that way? But he does. And the question this morning, as we prepare to close our service with one final song, I want you to meditate and think about these two things. What is it you need to see in Jesus' eyes today as he's before you? And what is it you need to feel in his touch? I can be a lot like Peter. I don't feel worthy of God's love. I don't feel worthy to be celebrated. I don't feel worthy for God to touch the dirtiest place in my heart. But that's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to touch the dirtiest place inside of us. This morning, as the band sings this song, I want you just to think about how God is coming to you there. As he wants to wash your feet today, then I will sprinkle them with clean water and they will be clean. I'll also reveal the content of their heart. This week you have an insert, just a reminder. You can use that this week to meditate on John 13. To ask yourself, where is God finding resistance in me and where am I being responsive to God? There may be a fasting and prayer discipline as part of it. There could be a point of surrender God is, is inviting you to. And as you walk through that, there's a place for you to respond and how God has spoken to your heart today. And then finally, what is your prayer? As it relates to this area, what is your prayer that you want to offer to God this week? Father God, in the next few moments as we respond in our hearts to you, there's nothing that we can hide. You already know everything about us. So I believe, Lord, that we can't experience renewal until we know and admit what's in our hearts. And so my prayer is that we will admit, become aware, acknowledge to you where we've been resistant so that we can be responsive. I pray these things in Christ's name. Please remain seated. The band will close us in prayer in just a few moments. Let the words of this song minister to your heart today. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.